Friday, October 27th, and this is Michigan News from MLive. I'm Patrick Shea. It's been a rainy week across the state, so please pardon the background noise here in the home studio. On the show today, the cost of childcare is one of the biggest hurdles for Michigan families. Here, why it's being called the $10,000 problem. We'll hear from Lansing, where efforts to raise the state's minimum wage have hit a roadblock, and it could soon be legal to take an Uber or a taxi to vote in a Michigan election. And if you're like me, you had no idea that was against the law in the first place. Plus, we'll hear from a Michigan Wolverines beat writer on the recent investigation into the football program after allegations of illegal sign stealing. All that and more coming up on Michigan News from MLive. Efforts are underway to try and raise Michigan's minimum wage to $15 an hour. You may have even seen a petition a while back started by a group called One Fair Wage. The goal is to put it to the people, have Michigan voters decide next November if the minimum wage should go up. But those efforts have hit a roadblock. Ben Orner covers the Michigan legislature for MLive and is here with more. Hi, Ben. Hey, Patrick. So what's the issue here? The group got enough signatures, turned in their petition last summer, It seemed like we were all set to vote on this next election. What's the holdup? Yeah, so the holdup is uh, essentially a typo um, that that was not caught before. So they got enough signatures. That was fine. The the Board of State Canvassers is the state um, panel that approves ballot initiatives. And uh, last Friday, um, they said, you know, you have enough signatures. That's fine. Um, but the problem is, is with a wording change that seemed to happen as the petition uh, was going through the process. The original form of One Fair Wages petition, like a year and a half ago, it said that it would change the definition of, of employer in state law from having at least two employees to having at least one employee. So essentially all businesses, $15 minimum wage. And that appeared in the text as a crossed out two in front of a one. Somewhere along the lines, that crossed out two became a normal two. And right now, the petition looks like it's 21 employees or more. I mean, that's a pretty significant difference between two, make that one, and then 21. So it sounds like as it's currently written, companies with less than 21 employees wouldn't have to adhere to this proposed wage raise. And as you've reported, there are a lot of Michigan companies that size or smaller, right? That's correct. The, uh, this new minimum wage law, if it you know, became law, would not apply to 90% of all Michigan businesses. And that means they wouldn't just be covered under a $15 minimum wage because this uh, one fair wages proposal changes the law itself. They wouldn't be covered by the previous Michigan state law, which is currently $9, $10, they would go back to $7.25 an hour, uh, which is the federal. Yeah, I remember the $7.25 an hour days. That's a, that's, that's a tricky minimum wage to revert <laughs> to at this point in time, for sure. The attorney defending this petition has said that this wasn't a typo. Did I read that right? But that it was an intentional change to 21 employees? Yes, he said it was intentional. It was an intentional change. Um, it was never announced, however. Um, no one caught it. It was such, this, this, such a small change that no one would expect, that no one on the board through this process caught it, none of the opponents caught it until uh, Friday, and the group didn't even announce it. Um, so 
that has us reporters asking, really? Is it really intentional? And it seems like the strategy here, if this proposal um, is approved, it doesn't have to go to the ballot. Um, What could happen is that the legislature has 40 days to decide whether they can take it up. Um, The legislature doesn't have to do anything. They can just let it go to the ballot. Um, But what the thought is here is that the legislature may take this, you know, 21 employee and more minimum wage hike, pass that into law, uh, and also pass essentially a companion that corrects for the 20 and under number of employees. So the legislature could essentially pass two things and that would be able to cover every employee, uh, or they could do the 20 and under and let this 21 and over go to the ballot. It's confusing, but you know, we're kind of in a limbo right now. And I mean, it kind of shows the, just what it's like in the thick of it of (laughs) bureaucracy. I mean, the fact that (laughs) to to correct a typo, you'd have to pass potentially a whole nother bill just addressing the part that was left out in the, in the document. If it was a typo, that's just like silly to me. It's like, Oh, they got that wrong. So we're going to make a whole nother bill. Yeah. Honestly, for people who follow the board of state canvassers, this is, this is classic, Board of State canvassers, people who are connected in Michigan politics may remember that we had similar um, signature and wording snafus, challenges, etc. with uh, the voting rights and abortion rights proposals, uh, those constitutional amendments last year. Uh, but yeah, I feel like every time I cover a Board of State canvassers meeting, I got to take a deep breath and center myself because it's going to be a, a wild ride. Um, it's not boring. It's just, uh, it can sometimes be uh, pedantic. I like to describe Board of State Cambridge's meetings as spicy and pedantic. Yeah, that's a, that's a good word choice there. And I guess time will tell if this minimum wage raise does end up on the ballot in November 2024. And if it does, it's in the voters' hands. And speaking of voting, Ben, I wanted to quickly ask you about another story you wrote this week. You can read all of Ben Orner's work at MLive.com slash politics, by the way. Ben, I for one had no idea it was illegal in Michigan to take an Uber to the polls on election day. Tell us more about this story. Yeah, so this is kind of an under-the-radar uh, piece of legislation uh, that was going through the Capitol, but um, it is currently illegal to essentially hail a ride, specifically to go to your polling place, like pay for a ride. Um, and that includes you know, paying for an Uber to go from your home, wherever, to your local polling place. If uh, you're unable to walk, then you are able to hire a ride. Uh, But yeah, you can't just uh, take an Uber from your house to your polling place a couple couple streets away. But um, a a bill that uh, got final approval from both houses of the legislature uh, this week would just strike out that line from state law. Governor Gretchen Whitmer just has to sign it and then it'll be changed. Yeah, you mentioned this bill passed through the House. It's on its way to the governor's desk, but there were some no votes why were some lawmakers still wary of using hired transportation to vote? Yeah, so this actually passed along party lines. All Republicans uh, voted against it. All Democrats uh, voted for it. Um, there were some Senate Republicans who uh, spoke up for the final vote this week, and uh, they had some concerns that um, candidates or uh, issue committees could you know, hire buses, right, and, and have people come on, and like the candidate is on the bus giving their uh, talking points and trying to influence uh, people to vote uh, a certain way. 
Uh, but uh, Democrats shot that down as kind of like overthinking uh, the issue. And uh, uh, one of the Democrats, uh, Senator Jerry Mo- Jeremy Moss of Southfield, his point was, um, you know, ultimately someone will make their final decision in the privacy of a, of a voting booth. And I think his quote was something like, you know, if I was a Republican and a Democratic candidate offered me a ride to the poll, I would just use that free ride to vote against them. <laughs> well, well, it was no surprise to me that Uber was in favor of this bill. So <laughs> yes. if you uh, want to take an Uber or a Lyft or anything else or a good old fashioned taxi to vote next November, it's looking like you'll probably be free to do that in the next election cycle. Ben Orner is in Lansing covering the Michigan legislature for MLive. Again, you can read his work at MLive.com slash politics. Ben, thanks for your time. Thanks, Patrick. Cost of living stories tend to come up a lot on this show. It's an issue that so many people in Michigan are familiar with. The rising cost of rent, of basic needs like groceries, and a stagnant minimum wage for now, although there are efforts to change that, as we just heard. Well, another major cost that Michiganders grapple with is childcare. MLive's Jordan Hermony has an in-depth story on this issue at our website and joins us now. Hi, Jordan. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. So in your story, you call childcare Michigan's $10,000 problem. Why is it being labeled that way? So what's being referred to as the $10,000 problem, that is just a tongue-in-cheek way of calling daycare or, or child care for Michigan families. And what's funny is that's actually an underestimation. It's really thought that it's more of an 11000 almost $12,000 problem um, for parents to pay to put their young children through some form of child care. You know, we found in 2023 data from the Annie E. Casey Foundation that that pretty much equates to about 11% of a married couple's median income or 37% of a single mother's median income. So it's getting a lot more expensive for people to put just one child through daycare. And I know in talking to parents, um, some people were putting two or even three kids together through daycare. And so that $10,000 problem, that's for just one child. Imagine multiplying that by three and childcare is becoming somewhat unattainable for many Michigan families. Yeah. And I mean, 11% of, of a couple's income, 37% you said of maybe an individual's income, that's very significant. So Jordan, what's at the heart of this problem? What has caused childcare in Michigan to become so expensive for working parents? So it's any number of things actually that are at the heart of this problem because it really is an individual by individual, family by family problem. I mean, you look at the people who work in childcare settings, they're not paid very much. So they are very frequently leaving the profession for other better paying jobs. Now, when you don't have people who are available to watch children, that pool of available childcare centers shrinks and either you end up with long waiting lists that people they can't get on so they have to go to another child care location which may end up you know making it so that there is a it's a more expensive location it's further away um parents incomes they're not being able to afford it because they haven't seen a raise themselves it's you know it's a pretty complicated problem with not one solution or answer as to what is the problem which is making it extremely difficult to tackle jordan you wrote in your story that this is a national problem but that michigan does have it pretty bad you reference one report that ranks michigan 32nd in the nation for child well-being noting 14 percent of michigan children aged five and under 
lived in families experiencing childcare issues. But the state is trying to address this problem. Tell us what actions are being taken. Yeah, so in 2022, actually, the state budget actually put just about $1.4 billion into child care funding. So that money would be used for opening more facilities across the state, um, giving bonuses to a number of child care professionals. Um, it would bump the income eligibility for child care subsidies, um, which right now is at 150% of the poverty level, which is just under about $40,000 a year. Um, to 185%. So that allows more people who do not make that much money to be eligible for more affordable child care. You know, we, we have tried to do some things. There's other things, though, that are still on the table that the legislature has yet to address. One of those um, is a bill in the Senate right now, which would implement paid family leave in the state people I talked to who were struggling with childcare affordability said that that was an issue that they had. Either they weren't paid during their maternity leave or for fathers, there was no such thing as a paternity leave at their job. So the state's, you know, making strives to get where it needs to be, but it's, it's definitely got a long way to go before it can claim victory on this. Jordan Hermony is a politics and culture reporter with MLive. Her story on childcare, Michigan's $10,000 plus problem is, of course, at our website, mlive.com. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. The University of Michigan has been dominant this football season. The Wolverines are 8-0, and ranked second nationally, and they shut out their in-state rivals last weekend by a score of 49-0. to But that's not the only reason the program has been making headlines lately. An investigation into alleged sign-stealing has caught the attention of the college football world. Andrew Kahn is a reporter on MLive's Wolverines Beat and host of the Wolverine Confidential Podcast, and he's here to tell us more. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. So, Andrew, let's start with a basic rundown of the allegations. What exactly is the program being accused of? Yeah, so uh, last Thursday, October 19th, uh, the story broke, Yahoo Sports uh, was the outlet that broke it, that Michigan was under investigation for potentially breaking a couple of NCAA rules. Uh, One of them uh, prohibits off-campus, in-person scouting of future opponents, so being uh, attending games of of teams you're about to play. Um, And then there's another rule about videotaping teams uh signals uh from the sideline and uh you know i I don't i don't mean to sound you know condescending but i don't want to make any assumptions about our listeners football knowledge so i'll say this you know teams use signals and and signs to send in plays that their offense or defense will run so you know in other words what the players are supposed to be doing once the ball is snapped uh and you know stadiums with a hundred thousand people can get quite loud uh and there's a physical distance between the sideline and the players on the field uh hence the need for nonverbal communication so these can be hand signals or images on on posters you've, you've probably seen this if you've watched uh, or attended a, a college football game in recent years there are, you know often photos of celebrities or you know, other seemingly random images, uh, you know, a, a Ford truck, a uh, plate of macaroni and cheese, Ariana Grande, like they are, they're just images that are used to convey the play that the coaches want the, the players to run. Um, anyway, Michigan is being accused of sending people to games uh, to film 
the team sideline, you know, with the idea that Michigan football staffers could then sync those signals with the actual plays that were run and sort of crack the code, uh, sort of, so to speak. Now, at the center of this alleged rule breaking is an analyst named Connor Stallions. Give us some background on him and the role he may have played in all of this. Yeah. So as my uh, colleague uh, on the MLive Michigan football beat, Aaron McMahon reported, he's uh, Connor Stallions is a Michigan native. Uh, he's the son of two Michigan alums, and he grew up a huge fan uh, of the Wolverines. He, he graduated from uh, the U.S. Naval Academy and then became an officer in the Marine Corps for a time, uh, all while volunteering as a staffer uh, you know, with the Michigan football program for a few years before Michigan made him a full-time staffer in May of 2022. We've learned that the Stallions arranged for people to be at games, uh, you know, throughout the Big Ten, uh, including several involving, you know, Michigan's arch rival Ohio State. Um, and this goes back, you know, at least a couple of years. Um, it's, it's, things are coming out, you know, by, by the hour, really. But, uh, you know, we, we've also now, there's been reports that he supposedly had people film um, the last two SEC championship games. He had people at uh, games at Tennessee, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon. The idea with those teams with the, is that they were potential uh, playoff opponents for Michigan um, these last couple of years. Michigan did end up qualifying for the college football playoff, the four-team playoff, each of the last two years. Uh, they played Georgia in 2021 and lost. They played TCU, a team uh, you might have noticed I didn't didn't list there uh, last year and lost that game. Um, but yeah, there's uh, there's now you know paper trails and and photo video evidence of uh, Stallions purchasing tickets, you know, off the secondary market for for various games and then uh, forwarding them to others um, with the idea that yes, they would bring their cell phone to games and shoot video um, of, of the team's sideline while this was happening. Now, Andrew, is the Michigan football program denying these allegations? What have they had to say in response? Yeah, so uh, head coach Jim Harbaugh uh, has has denied knowledge of it. I mean, his, his quote is, is just that. I do not have any knowledge or information regarding the University of Michigan football program illegally stealing signals, nor have I directed any staff member or others to participate in any off-campus scouting assignment. I have no awareness of anyone on our staff having done that or having directed that action. So that's, that's what Jim Harbaugh has said on the matter. Michigan... Uh, the day after the story broke uh, on Friday, they suspended Connor Stallions with pay, um, and, th and that's kind of where things stand. It's it's interesting that uh, a couple things here. First of all, Michigan is already under investigation for a separate issue uh, related to recruiting violations and uh, staff members coaching on the field that that shouldn't have been. Um, that's why the school suspended Harbaugh for the first three games of this season. Um, and they're they're on a bye week this week. They do not, you know, they do not play this week. So we did not get, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh on, on Monday like we normally would. He did talk about it uh, after the game on Saturday. But uh, yeah, Michigan has that. That's a statement from Harbaugh. But they have they have suspended Connor Stallions. You know, one thing I'm curious about: if the investigation does uncover some serious rule breaking, does it matter if Jim Harbaugh was unaware of it or? As head coach, would he still potentially face some repercussions? Yeah, that that's a good question, Patrick. And I think I think he probably would. I mean, there's the idea of the head coach being in control of the program. You are, you know, you are the boss of your program, and 
you know, simply being unaware is, is not is not a valid excuse. Um, you know, if you you got to have uh, there could be a lack of institutional control or, you know, just, yeah, the head coach is, is the top dog and kind of needs needs to know what happens uh, in his program. Um, you know, it, it's clear they knew that they were, you know, benefiting from information Connor Stallions had. You know, there's there's now photos and and videos of of stallions, you know, on the sideline during games, you know, often right next to Michigan's defensive coordinator. Um, he's got a, he's got a sheet of information in front of him. He's, he's looking across the sideline, uh, just as the, the players on the opposing team are doing that. Um, and, you know, clearly consulting what he's, he's studied and, and kind of relaying that information to, to Michigan's coaches in, in real time. Um, but again, wasn't it was it a sort of don't ask, don't tell situation? We we don't know. Um, but no, Michigan definitely could could be in, in trouble for this. All right. Well, to wrap up, Andrew, let's briefly talk some actual football. What's the Wolverine schedule look like from here, and what are some key games folks might want to tune in for? Yeah. So they they are off this Saturday. Finally, get a bye after you know uh, eight straight weeks, um, and then then it's the the home stretch here. They play at home against a Purdue team that's. Not all that good, uh, but then finally, the the part of the schedule that fans have been waiting for sort of all season, uh, it, it will be here, and that is a trip to Penn State, uh, followed by a trip to Maryland, and then the home game to close the regular season against Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State is still undefeated after beating Penn State. That was Penn State's first loss uh, last Saturday. So both those teams are are highly ranked and you know considered at least you know close to Michigan in, in as far as, you know, talent and, you know, how, how well they've played this season. So far, Michigan's schedule has been pretty light. Um, and Michigan has, you know, they, they have outscored opponents by more than any team in the country so far this year, more than 30 points per game. So they have absolutely dominated their schedule so far, but it gets a lot harder at the end. Um, and of course, this, this sort of cloud hanging over uh, the program maybe, maybe doesn't help either. Well, you can listen to some in-depth coverage and analysis leading up to those games by subscribing to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast, hosted by MLive reporter Andrew Kahn. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to do it. As Andrew mentioned, it's a bye week for Michigan football, but Michigan State hopes to snap a five-game losing streak this weekend. They're headed to Minneapolis to face the Minnesota Golden Gophers. That's Saturday at 3.30. Central Michigan is 4-4 on the season and will host the Huskies of Northern Illinois on Halloween night. That's Tuesday at 7 p.m. But before that, we've got an in-state rivalry, The Broncos of Western Michigan are headed to Ypsilanti to take on the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Kickoff at 1 p.m. on Saturday. Lions fans are left wondering if last week's bludgeoning in Baltimore is a cause for concern or just a bump in the road. The Lions lost 38-6 to the Ravens after comfortably winning the prior four games. Here's some of what MLive's Kyle Mikey and Ben Raven had to say. Now that you've had a chance to digest the film, talk to some people, I don't know, where do you land on this debate between were they exposed as a pretender or do you think it's just a a bump along the way? A bump along the way. I'm still firmly there in a bump along the way. I think they just got caught on their heels and they faced a team that when you're on your heels, they delivered 25 jabs to the chin and that's exactly what happened, you know? The Lions are not only the, the the front runner in the north but like they should win the division in my point in my view right like I, yeah. that, that's the expectation anything less than that would be a disappointment at this point you can hear so much more great lions coverage and analysis by subscribing to m live's dungeon of doom podcast hosted by ben and kyle 
The Detroit Red Wings are red hot at the start of their season, and Alex Dabrinkit is the NHL's top scorer at the time of recording this episode. The right winger is Michigan born and raised, but is playing his first season in Detroit after being traded from the Ottawa Senators. That's a wrap on this week's episode of Michigan News from MLive. I'm Patrick Shea. Stay dry out there and have a great weekend.